It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. We welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, December sixth, two thousand and twelve. Thank you for joining us on the Virtual Bible Study tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, joins me to my right. Hello, Ed. Jacob, great to be with you, as, as always, on Thursday night for the Virtual Bible Study. Look forward to this night, and we hope you do as well, and we're glad you've joined us on the program. If you'd like to participate in an interesting topic tonight, or a series of topics, the number to call is 877-381-4567. The email address is questions at collegeview.com, and the chat room to the right of your video window is open and ready for business as we do some house cleaning tonight. Yeah, you know, Jacob, for the last three weeks, we've been trying to get through a series of questions that have been sent in by our listeners. Uh, the, the first week was a, a total failure because our Internet connection was down and we weren't able to get a program on the air for only the second time in seven and a half years. Okay, uh, strike one. Last week, we got in so involved in some of the first questions that we didn't get to the last question. Strike two. So... This is strike three. We've got to get done. We, okay. uh, we're going to finish up some listener questions, and then also we're going to go back almost two months ago. Wow. We, we talked with a woman who is a, yes. a preacher in the Unitarian Universalist Church of Nashville. Yes. And uh, we spent the whole hour in a rather interesting dialogue with her. Yes. Uh, she was a very nice woman, but she way far out in her religious views. Way to the left of the spectrum there. I mean, uh, off the chart. Okay. But we had sent out some questions about universalism. We found out that they weren't even applicable to this woman. Okay. Uh, her, her, uh, she, she wasn't. She wasn't even really a Bible believer. No, she wasn't sure that Jesus was the Son of, or that He had resurrected. And so we had asked some questions uh, to our study group. You know, our, our update questions were. To challenge her about her view of universalism, well, it turns out that she she couldn't be pressed about what the Bible teaches because she didn't believe what she the Bible. She maybe was teaches. a little more universal than we had expected. Yeah. So, but we did have, I thought, some good questions out there concerning universalism, the basic tenets of yes. universalism, right. and so we had those questions left over. We had a, a several good responses, and so we're going to try to cover those in the last part of our program today. And Anthony tonight. is behind the controls tonight. Anthony, welcome to the program. Glad that you're here. Yeah, thanks. It's glad, uh, good to be here. And, uh, Anthony, I don't know, did you get to listen to the Unitarian Universalist discussion? I, I still have not. I tried to get do some podcasting on my new phone the other day, and something didn't go quite right. I was actually going to listen to it, but so I haven't yet. Okay, well, you, oh, you need to listen to that. Yeah, and, Jake, if you, you, you told me just before the program started that we are back doing something that we had had to quit doing for a while using Ustream yes. as another alternative source to view the program. Yeah. And if you if you have a smartphone, yes. you can get the Ustream app, and through that you can watch the program on your smartphone. I have a dumb phone. I do too, but I understand those who have smartphones can do that. Okay, if you're smart enough to use it. You can use the Ustream app, I suppose, on your smartphone and watch the program tonight, or tell your friends who may have a have a smartphone and maybe they want to watch as well. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. We start off with a question. Well, yes. one, one more thing before we get into our questions. Every year the College View Church publishes a Bible reading yes. calendar. We're uh -huh. going to start pushing that a little earlier this year. If you'd like a Bible reading calendar for the year 2013, we are already printing those, and we have them available. If you will send us your snail mail address to questions at collegeview.com and say, I'd like a copy of the Bible reading calendar, we'll get one in the mail to you. How much is it going to cost me? It's free. It's free. And it's a bargain. All right. And this is the first first printing, so you want to be sure yeah, to get first, in on that. First printing, first yeah, edition. Yeah, those will probably be more valuable. Yeah, yeah, that's right. There's okay. a collectible, it would be. Yes, it would be. All right, uh, so get those Bible reading calendars. It's a simple email. Questions at collegeview.com. Say, send me a calendar 
We could you could email it, but you'd rather snail mail it because that's the paper. The, the paper. Yeah, yeah. I, I could send you a Word document that you could print off yourself. I can I can email you that. But, but it wouldn't nearly be as easy. Well, as yeah, but it'd be a lot easier if we just sent you a snail mail copy, hard copy. Okay, so do that. Send your quest your your request to questions at collegeview.com and send your comments tonight to questions at collegeview.com. We had some good questions last week and a long discussion about baptism. If you missed last week's uh, program, you want to catch that. And we'll reiterate an offer that we made last week. If someone listens to that program and disagrees with us, we'd welcome you to come on. Or maybe you, your preacher, uh, you'd like to have him come on and talk about uh, uh, his view or your view of baptism, why you believe it's not required for salvation. We'd love to, to have that discussion. We'd welcome it at any time. You can go back if you wonder how that discussion would go, the tone and uh, the attitude and approach we used, you can go back and listen to numerous interviews we've had with people we disagreed with ex- on a very wide disagreement, including the one we're going to talk about tonight with uh, Miss. I was Steven. trying to think of some of the different ones we've interviewed. You remember the guy we interviewed who was using mixed martial arts yes, to, to, yes. To, to preach the gospel? We yes. talked to a spokesman. Uh, you remember that, Anthony, don't you? Yeah, he, he was uh, he was going to beat us up if we didn't agree. Yeah, right. with him. And then we, we talked to a spokesman for the... Uh, Westboro Baptist Church in Topeka, Kansas. Yes, the group they're that, extremely ugly. They, uh, they were ugly. We weren't. Oh, but she was. She I mean, was she, was, she was. She was cordial. But yeah. they 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 yeah. have an ugly position. Yes. Yeah. And, and but we were able to engage in in honest Bible study. Dan with Barker, the, the atheist. Dan Barker, the atheist. Yes. We talked to a Presbyterian preacher who had just been to the national convention that authorized uh, the ordaining of ministers in the Presbyterian Church who are. Mm-hmm. Actively homosexual. Yes, yes. We've and talk- I mean, we've just had dozens of interviews. We've talked with state the, uh, state legislators. We've talked with state legislators, those running for political office on their moral positions yes. and so forth. So we, there's a lot of good interviews. And, and we've talked, with, but we've talked a lot with a lot of preachers who disagree with us. That's right. Baptist preachers, um, uh, Pentecostal uh, preacher. We talked with uh, right. last year, I think. And uh, and we always uh, at the end of it, I don't know that we've ever had anyone said. I wish I had never come on your program. Typically, we always get a response. I'm glad that I that you let that, me come on. Thanks for the opportunity. We, I appreciate the tone and the attitude. Yeah. So, if, so you, if you disagree with well, us on the baptism, the only reason we're saying that is right. that if you if you have a disagreement with us, for instance, on what we said about baptism last week, right. Come on, we'll talk with you. Yeah. Or have your preacher come on. Yeah. Or contact a preacher that you know, maybe from some distance, and maybe say, Hey, would you come talk to these guys because they're all wet on baptism? All right. So let's get to our questions. All right. Uh, uh, the first question held over from last week was from Ramona, mm-hmm. who asked, is it necessary to conclude a prayer, quote, in Jesus' name? Okay, that would have been a good one to conclude the program on, but we didn't have time. All right. We got several responses. Here's okay. from John in Edmond, Oklahoma. He says the phrase church. Oh, wait a minute. That's, that's not. He didn't answer that one. Okay. okay. All right. Keep going. Keep right. going. Uh, this is from Chris in right. Atlanta. Chris. And we're waiting for Chris to be a special guest on the program. He's. He's, a, he's told us he will, and we're waiting for him to make good on that uh, promise, and so we'll, we'll try and coordinate with Chris. Uh, is it necessary to conclude a prayer in Jesus' name? No, it is an attitude and matter of our heart, not a magic phrase. Okay? Thank you, Chris, for that comment. I, I think it's. I think that's the thing we really want to dispel, that, there's, that this is some kind of mystical or magical expression that you have to use a code of words, a formula, a phrase that has to be included to make your prayers effective. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anthony, you had sent in an email last week where you said, definitely not. I don't see any prayers in the New Testament ended that way. Any any, any follow-up on that? Right. I, I think, you know, obviously the answer is, you know, we just need to look to the Scripture and see, you know, what the examples and the patterns and commands are there. And, uh, you know, we certainly, you know, Jesus uses the phrase, you know, anything that you ask in my name. And I think that... That uh, requires a little examination as to what he means by that. I don't think he means uh, if you say these words, okay. right, specific right. formula. Okay. It, it means if you do it by his authority. Okay. It's just like Colossians 3:17. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So we do it in Jesus' name. Our prayers are in Jesus' name. In other words, by the authority of Jesus, we have the privilege of approaching the throne of, of God in prayer. And so we're doing it. By the authority that Jesus has made possible for us to do it. So it's really an explanation of what we're doing in our prayer. It's not a formula of words. Now, I'm certainly not opposed 
to the expression in Jesus name. Yes. Uh, but as long as it's understood that that's what we're doing, I don't think the Bible requires us to necessarily include that expression. I typically do or something very similar or synonymous to right. it. But I don't think that the Bible teaches that it's necessary that you have to have that set expression or anything close to it. As long as it's understood that you're praying in Jesus' name or by his authority. Okay, excellent, uh, excellent answer. Uh, Mona says, if we prayed only in the memory of Jesus, we are concluding that he is dead. We pray in his name because he is alive, which is not to be confused with Lord's Supper. This is due in memory of Jesus because it represents that he died for our sins and was raised from the dead. You know, as you were talking... Uh, it reminded me of uh, Matthew 28, verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Same concept. We're to baptize based upon the authority uh, that God has given us. The but, instructions easy. And again, it's not a formula of words. Some people think it is. Yeah, but it's not. It's right. talking about the authority by which right. we baptize mm-hmm. people. Correct. Um, Jason in Pittsburgh said, I do not see a prayer in Scripture where brethren put in Jesus' name on the end of the prayer. It is a good reminder to us as to why we can approach the throne of God, but it's not a necessary phrase that must be added to a prayer to get our prayers to make it to God. Okay, there you go. You know, and I, what Jason said there, I think, especially in public prayers, just so that you don't leave people in doubt, I think maybe especially in public prayers it's good to add the phrase because you don't want you don't want people focusing on, oh, he didn't say in oh, Jesus' name. Right. What, 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 you know, yeah. and, and then maybe be all upset. Uh, unnecessarily. I mean, just to avoid any misunderstanding, miscomprehension, or, you know, uh, anything that might upset or offend someone. I think maybe in public prayers it's especially good to include the expression. All right. And uh, Clay here in uh, Columbia. Good to hear from Clay. My answer would be no. It is not necessary to conclude a prayer in Jesus' name. Often, John 14, 12 through 14 is cited as a scripture for such a practice. It seems from the epistles that the usual first century Christian to a prayer first century ending to a prayer might have been in some other form or uh, in some form or another to him be the glory forever and ever amen romans eleven thirty six, galatians 1 5 and a whole bunch of and a bunch of other oh, a long list of uh, yeah. references there what's important in prayers that our faith in is in him and that we have asked uh, of him those things that correspond to his will thank you clay for that email so I think that's a quick and pretty direct answer. It's not a required phrase. It is It is a necessary, it must be understood that that's the authority by which we pray. But other than that, I think that's all we got. I, I remember as a kid thinking that that was like the magic button. You know, you, you said your prayer and it all sort of accumulated then. And then you said in Jesus' name, it's like you hit the rocket button and sent it off to heaven. And that's obviously not. The case. All right. We have a uh, comment from Lance in uh, the chat room. He, I think he disagrees with you. He says he is in error. Jesus said, when you pray in my name, whatever you ask of the Father in my name. We are asking in his name. That's what we're saying. What does the expression in my name mean? It means by my authority. Yes. And so we are. We're not denying that we're praying in Jesus' name. We're, what we're saying is Does that have to be verbalized? To, to, to say that expression yes. as a formula, a necessary formula, is not required. All right. Let us know your thoughts. Anthony. Yeah, and I mean, further to that, uh, you know, again, we don't see, especially even when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, certainly didn't use that formula. Well, right, uh, right. And we don't see it anywhere in the Bible at all. And I just think we just need to have, you know, study what the phrase in my name means. But uh, just piggybacking my two cents as far as what Greg said in public prayer, I would agree. I, I don't think we should come away from this topic and think, well, you know, I'm not going to say that anymore. That, that phrase anymore, um, you know, I think in in our congregations it's such an expected thing. It's a it's a social cue that lets us know that the prayer is over. Okay, it yeah. doesn't leave people hanging. Um, you know, when people don't say it, it does kind of leave you. Oh, well, wait, the prayer's over. Right. <laughs> yeah. Know? yeah. So there's nothing wrong with it as long as we understand that it's not required. But I think in our congregational uh, culture, I think it's useful. Oh, good comments. Good comments. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. It's time for a break. We're Let's not, take our first break. We're not going any faster. We did last week. Yeah, we're doing all right. We we'll get back. We're going to talk about a question from Lenora about continuing to worship in a congregation whose leaders you disagree with quite seriously. Oh, that's a good one. All right. All right. We'll talk about that. Uh, Lance says before we go to the break, what happened when people prayed in His name that were not believers? We know Jesus and we know Paul. Well, if, you, if you're if you not really praying in Jesus' name, 
then it's not an effective prayer. No, and that doesn't mean whether or not you're saying the expression. It means whether or not you have the authority of Jesus to be saying that prayer. And if you're not a believer, you don't if you're have not, If you're not a believer, if you're not, a, if you're not an obedient believer, you don't have the authority to be praying in his name. That'd be like someone, uh, I think I used this illustration recently, you know, someone comes to my backyard with a backhoe and starts digging it up. My wife runs out and says, what are you doing? And the, and the backhoe operator says, uh, I got this illustration from another person, by the way. The backhoe operator says, Greg Gwynn told me to do this. In other words, he's saying he's doing it in my name or by my authority. Well, that's fine if I gave him that authority. But he can't be doing it in my name if I didn't tell him to do it. No. And that's the same thing about praying. We can't pray in Jesus' name. It means to do it by his authority. If we're not authorized because we're not an obedient believer, then we can't be praying in his name. Okay. All right, good. We'll look uh, forward to Lenora's question about uh, worshiping where the leaders of the group don't agree with you. This is a this is a broad-reaching uh, question, and it may not be as cut and dry as we think. We'll talk about that on the other side of the break. 877-381-4567. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Now you can listen to a podcast of a recent sermon every week. Find out more at collegeview.com. There's more of the Virtual Bible Study right after these important messages. Do you remember when the pulpit was used for the purpose of convicting sinners and teaching them how to be saved? Are you tired of preachers who seem much more inclined to entertain their audience than to teach the truth? Does it seem the sermons you are hearing each week could have easily been given at a PTA meeting or a social club? Do you remember when sin was called sin and at the end of the sermon you knew by book, chapter, and verse what the preacher was talking about and why? The College View Church is still preaching the old Jerusalem gospel that you read about in your Bible. They invite you to investigate for yourself. Come and see. Visit the College View Church of Christ. Here's some quotes worth pondering. To hatch despair, simply brood over your troubles. The empty tomb proves Christianity. The empty pew denies it. If we could only forget our troubles as easily as we forget our blessings. Christ established his church to save sinners, not to serve dinners. Man, I wish I'd said that. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Colossians 3.17. Now, back to the program. Did you catch what he just said there? Colossians 3.17. Do what? Do in the name of Jesus. And so that's what we're talking about there with our question as we began about praying in Jesus' name from Ramona. And uh, we welcome you to the program as we talk about... Various questions, various topics. We're cleaning house tonight. We're cleaning it off and making room for you to send your questions and your suggestions for topics to questions at collegeview.com. We accept those anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and we can include your suggestions on a future edition of the Virtual Bible Study. Lenora, ask a question. Yeah, Lenora asked this question. She said, is it possible to worship under a leader that is not convicted that the Church of Christ is the only church and that you can only be saved if you're part of the body, the church? That's really a, a multifaceted question. Yes. Because it goes to the point that we have discussed many times on the virtual Bible study, and I really don't think that it, we have the time to delve into it deeply tonight. So we're not going to – and there's a high likelihood that uh, there are some listeners who would probably not agree that the Church of Christ is the one true church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Suffice it to say that's what we're striving to be. We understand that Jesus – promise to build only one church right we don't don't have to argue about which one that is right now we'll just if we can agree that there is one yeah ephesians 1 18 ephesians 1 22 and 23 1 21 and 22 said that the the body is the church ephesians 4 4 says there's one body so there's one body the body is the church therefore there's just one true church of our lord and savior jesus christ we're striving to do just as the early christians did to be a church just like the church you read about in the pages of the new testament but we understand there is only one. Right. Lenora has uh, described a situation where there's a leader, an elder of a local church that does not have the conviction that there is but one true church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Could you continue to serve and worship in a congregation where an elder didn't have that conviction? What do you mm-hmm. think, Jay? Interesting, uh, and I think that uh, that that, it, that is a difficult to, uh, one to answer. But I think I'd have to say uh, no in that circumstance. Uh, but um, we have we have varying degrees of where we may disagree with someone in a leadership position. Yeah, and it's a yeah. difficult a difficult difficult line to draw. I, I think that's an important point. You know, it, it may be that you know we disagree with an elder on certain subjects. Mm-hmm. 
when would that disagree? In fact, I think there's a really high likelihood that you would. You know, when you think of the wide variety of questions that come up religiously, there might be a number of questions wherein we might disagree with an elder, but it wouldn't affect our ability to continue to serve with that elder because that's not imposing anything on us that would violate our conscience or require us to do something that we disagree with. But, for instance, what if an elder in a local congregation, let's take a subject that we talk about fairly often on the virtual Bible, let's talk about instrumental music. And we've got an elder who says, we've made a determination. We're bringing in an organ next Sunday. Well, I can't continue to worship there because my understanding of the Scripture is that that wouldn't be an authorized practice. Therefore, to engage in it, I'd be violating my conscience in the matter. I couldn't do it. Well, it happened recently here. I disagreed with one of the elders on a certain thing. It was a matter of personal application, not a congregational application, but we had a disagreement. We've come to an agreement now, but at one point we were in disagreement. His position on it didn't affect me. It didn't cause me to do anything that I didn't think was right, but we had a disagreement. And I think those are going to happen quite frequently. I think there's a high probability of that. But there are some issues where you would have to say, I can't serve or submit to that man because of this critical doctrinal difference that we have. To me, the doctrinal issue that Lenora described would be of such a nature. If an elder doesn't believe that there is one true body of our Lord Jesus Christ, one true church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I think that would be so fundamental that I couldn't continue to serve. And it likely would be indicative of some bigger problems that would make the decision even easier, I think. If we can't agree on that, I think it would probably indicate that there's probably a lot more problems hiding out, if you will, in the dirty laundry there. Well, you know, one of the qualifications of elders is to be, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, where he's described as not a novice. In other words, he's to be a well-studied man. In Titus 1, he is to hold fast, verse 9, Titus 1, verse 9, hold fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers or the deniers. Well, it sounds to me like the fellow Lenora is describing wouldn't be able to do that. And therefore, he's not qualified to be in that position. That may help you make a decision as well. What else? Anthony, your thoughts. I think you may have done the Passover here on this question. That's okay. I'm trying to remember what I sent in. I maybe sent in something a little bit different, maybe a little different take. And I think that's just maybe more along the lines of interpreting the question. I think the way I read the question, the way I responded was more like, could I offer scriptural worship? Really just thinking about could I walk in the building, go through a service, and be okay, do that in a proper way, even though this elder holds his position. So I kind of took it maybe more that way, more specifically. And I said, well, I mean, technically, I guess you could. But I think I went on to say that, yeah, you know, you would have to. Well, you know, to worship. She asked the question, could I worship? But I think she was using the word worship. I mean, could I be a member of that congregation? Could I submit to that leadership? Yeah, I think I could worship there. You know, I could visit a service. I could take it in and participate in the worship service. But as far as being a member of that congregation and submitting myself, in other words, because with an elder, I've got to submit to him. But if I believe he holds a seriously erroneous doctrinal position, how could I submit to him in that? Yeah, that's true. All right, it would be a difficult situation. Jason says, I would be concerned if the worship or the song leader took a narrow view that only people that are members of churches of Christ are saved. There may be faithful churches meeting in homes that we know nothing about that have saved people in them who don't have the name Church of Christ on a sign outside. And so Jason's addressing more of the bigger, bigger question here. He says, we need to be careful to define our terms carefully, though. Biblically speaking, only those who are a member of the church are saved. People are added to the church when they obey the gospel of Scripture. There may be people in other churches that do not wear the name Church of Christ who obeyed the gospel and were added to the Lord by, by the Lord to his church that need to come to a better understanding of the truth. There may be even uh, many people that are on 
the membership roster of a Church of Christ that are not Christians and will not be saved. What building people go into is not the only standard to use when deciding whether someone is saved or not. There may be people sitting in our pews that are not saved. If someone believes that you do not have to obey biblical go- the biblical gospel to be saved, that is a different story. I would not feel comfortable following someone who is leading in worship if they believe you don't have to meet the conditions that Christ gives us to be saved. This person should not be leading God's people in approaching the throne if they don't even understand the gospel and conditions that God gives to be saved. Thank you, Jason, for your comments. All right, and we've got an answer from Jim in Kentucky. He says, whereas you must decide if you wish to remain with a group where those in leadership positions do not advocate scriptural teaching, such as the error of teaching that it's not necessary to be baptized in order to be saved or the idea that there are Christians in the denominations, one thing you must understand is that in worship you are not worshiping under anyone. Although you gather together on the first day of the week to worship with others, Acts 27, you're not under anyone. You lift up your heart directly to God. Others can hinder our worship when they do or say things which are unscriptural, but no one is under anyone else. Yes, it is true that within the congregations of the Lord's people, there may be qualified men who serve in the office. There may be qualified men who serve in the office of elders, but we are not under them as far as the concept of worship is concerned. Our worship does not go through anyone. I, and so I think Jim was keying in on the worship. Taking a little angle, different but, angle. But, than but that I well. think Lenora was, she was using it. I hear people use it. Could I worship at a, at a place where one of the elders has unscripted? I think she's meaning, could I serve? Could I be a member there? Could I submit to this leadership? Okay. And to me, I'd have, and I agree with Jim. I mean, I'm, you know, when you go around and you visit various congregations from time to time, maybe you're on a, a vacation trip or business trip and you end up in a certain place and, and you worship with a group nearby uh you you don't you really don't even know what the views of the elders no, might be no and, and you so might you, find but, out but you could, I, there. but you could worship there acceptably yeah. Yeah. and should and could but but if it was back home here where we go all the time and one of the elders takes an off-the-wall undoctrinal position then we've got a problem and and you know can you i make conti- a decision can i continue to submit to someone who basically is denying what I think the Bible clearly teaches. And then, and then I'd have to say that's where the, the rubber meets the road. All right. Anthony, your thoughts. And, Anthony, you say Anthony Candler. Oh, I know. I need, well, okay, I go always ahead. feel like I have to come over here to the microphone. But, uh, no, I mean, I agree with everything that's been said. I think, uh, um, you know, personally, yeah, I would find it very troubling to know that I was submitting to an elder who had a very, uh, you know, erroneous belief yeah. on something so basic. but. Um, you know, then I, I was kind of starting to think, well, if, if you just up and leave, then you kind of get into the question of when is it appropriate to leave or when do you stay and try to that, peacefully make a difference? That is along <laughs> that's the lines. That's along the lines of the comments that me and you sends in the chat room. What about those in the church at Sardis? Those in Sardis were not told to leave. And there were some serious problems in Sardis in Revelation chapter 3, beginning verse 1. Yeah. Uh, and, but and it was the, the, the answer wasn't get yourself out of there. The answer was fix the problem. So that's yeah. a, that, that. I mean, they, these all, these things all go into the weighing of what we do. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and and you got to make a decision. And and I don't think you can just say, here's the pat answer when right. you make that decision. When you have to go, when you can stay. All right. I think it's going to be a case by case kind of determination. Jason in the chat room, and Jason is the Jason we just read his comments. He says uh, the disciples didn't use the phrase. Oh, okay, they're talking about prayer there. So we'll, that's on a yeah, uh, subject. Yeah, the chat room we've still closed, on the prayer. We, we've question. already closed the book on that. That's all. Yeah. Right, you guys can keep on talking about that. Yeah. Maybe talk, we didn't close the book. Maybe we didn't talk, answer it as talk, good as we thought. I talk, thought we. I thought we. I thought we had an open and shut case yeah, there. Talk among yourselves. Okay. Uh, all right, we're up. Just to, don't disturb the class. We're up to break time, and when we get back now, so finally, after three weeks, Ooh. we have we have cleared the table of those questions that we put out three weeks ago. Okay. So what we're going to do now, we're going to do just a little bit more uh, house cleaning, and t- next week, Lord willing, we'll, be, we'll have a clean slate to, to tackle a new topic. But we have held over from our October 18th program when we talked to the Unitarian Universalist preacher in Nashville. We have held over from that some questions we put out about the basic premise, the basic doctrine of universalism. Yes. And so uh, when we get back, we're going to tackle these questions. The first of them is, what do you think are the best arguments against the claims of universalism? Okay. That's what we'll do when we get back. All right. What about universalism? Let us know your thoughts. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues after this week's Bullet Point.
After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. A recent news article told of a new hybrid shark found in the waters off Australia. Scientists explained that the local Australian black-tip shark has mated with its global counterpart, the common black-tip shark. Jess Morgan, a researcher from the University of Queensland, said that this is, quote, very surprising because no one has ever seen shark hybrids before. And, quote, this is not a common occurrence by any stretch of the imagination. The new discovery is said to be a potential sign that sharks are adapting to cope with climate change. Morgan went on to declare that, quote, this is evolution in action. Those who deny God's work in the creation of the universe and everything in it, including all life forms, may think that this delivers a blow against the faith of Bible believers. Nothing could be further from the truth. No one denies that species adapt to their environment. Abundant evidence has been available to prove this long before the news of hybrid sharks was announced. This is called specific evolution, or evolution within a species. All agree that this happens. What Bible believers deny and what science has never come close to proving is the general theory of evolution. What this unproved theory claims is that all life sprang from non-living matter and that all the myriad of life forms seen on the earth today evolved from a single common source. Notice in this recent shark discovery that the known law of biogenesis, that is life comes from life and living things produce after their own kind, is still working. In this case, living sharks mated to produce life. The new type of shark was not the result of spontaneous generation of life from non-living matter, which the general theory of evolution requires, and the new life form was still a shark, not a cat, not even a catfish. Nothing in this new discovery challenges anything we know about God and his marvelous creation. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hello, I'm Nick Law from Jennings, Florida. I love to listen to the virtual Bible study and hear God's word taught every Thursday night. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The virtual Bible study. Take it away, guys. And we're back, and there was something fishy about that bullet point. Yeah, a little fishy. And I appreciate you doing those, by the way, every week, and uh, that uh, that's good uh, information there. We appreciate you putting that together for us. We remind you, this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And better yet, the best way for you to find out more about us is by visiting our worship. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9.30, Sunday evenings at 6, and Wednesday evenings at 7. You'd be welcome if you're in the Columbia, Tennessee area. Find out more about our meeting place and how to get here at thevirtualbiblestudy.com. We're talking about various questions on the program tonight. We're going now back uh, to Thursday, October 18th of 2012, which uh, Gail Seavey from the First Unitarian Universalist Church in Nashville joined us. And uh, had a really, really nice lady, Wonderful. super nice. Yeah, yeah, and she, yeah, and but, uh, but it, you know, one of the things that these various interviews we do, Jacob, uh, one of the things that we get out of them is we get a, a, a lot better idea of where people are, where, the, and and in in the case of Miss Seavey, we found out she way out there in left field. I mean, uh, I, I had no idea that her views would be as extreme as they were. Yeah. I, I thought that she would try to use the Bible to prove. Her position uh, concerning the doctrine of universalism, but she, in the course early on in the course of our discussion, we found out that she doesn't believe that the Bible is inspired of God. She's she doesn't believe that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. She's uncertain about anything like a death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Not only does she not believe in hell, she's not even sure there's a heaven. I mean, just I mean, there was nothing concrete or substantial in regards to specific beliefs that she had almost literally anything goes and i i I don't i don't know if agnostic would be the right term for her specifically but very ambiguous in her beliefs and nothing's definitive right um it's i I, to me i think if i was to leave a worship service there i would i just have this very uneasy feeling about everything in the world i would think that you know there'd be no not that I could, no, no rock I could uh, anchor on there. Uh, they just, anything? Yeah. We don't know. Um, when, when we had this discussion, I had put out a, another question. I want to cover that real quickly. I, I had asked early on, what do you understand the basic teachings of Unitarian Universalists to be? Mike in Orleans, Indiana said, uh, ultimately it is extremely difficult to define because they accept all beliefs, lifestyles, including gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, and systems of faith 
equally. They stand for nothing except to essentially resign the difficult intellectual questions and just say everyone's right. They claim to embrace contradictions in gray areas, but they can't even all agree on exactly what those gray areas are. Most members do not believe in hell. They deny the inspiration of the scriptures. They deny that only Jehovah, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are God. They embrace other beliefs in deities as well. They deny the deity of Christ. They believe in salvation by works, that is, via personal That's interesting. That's an interesting twist there, but they do actually, uh, I guess if you were to break it down, that it would be salvation Pretty by good. works. Uh, Chris in the UK, we haven't heard from Chris. Uh, we heard from him that night. We haven't heard from him in a while. Uh, this is Chris in Atlanta right here. Oh, you're looking at Chris in, okay. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, looking I'm out Chris, of order. I'm looking at I'm Chris in UK. Go ahead. He says, uh, it's a religion that celebrates diversity of belief and is, did we just lose something? No, 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 that's Anthony. Uh, he's oh. playing with the Anthony cam, and he's oh. wrestling his microphone. Sorry about that little sound effect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's well, that sounds like symbols, like, you know, you're, you're doing sound effects. Oh, okay, there you go. Uh, uh, Chris in UK says, Unitarian Universalism, a religion that celebrates diversity of belief and is guided by seven principles. Uh, he got this from their website. Uh, here's the seven principles. Inherent worth and dignity of every person, justice, equality, and compassion in human relations, acceptance of one another and encouragement to spiritual growth in our congregation, a free and responsible search for truth and meaning, the right of conscience and the use of democratic process within our congregations and in society at large, the goal of world community with peace, liberty, and justice for all, Respect for the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> well, I could agree with some of those. Yeah. I don't think I could agree what, with what, all what, of them. Did you get the, Respect for the interdependent web of all existence I don't of which we are a part? That I, sounds a little bit... Uh, I, don't uh, I don't know. Okay, and then I'm Chris... A queasy. Chris in Atlanta... Oh, well, he goes set, on. Set, he goes on. Unitarian Universalism draws from many sources. Again, this is from their website. Uh Direct experience of that transcending mystery and wonder affirmed in all cultures, which moves us to a renewal of the spirit and an openness to the forces which create and uphold life. Okay. Yeah, that's probably enough of that. Uh, you, you, okay. you get a taste. Uh, you think uh, people are going to start dropping off? Yeah, or? yeah. We don't want to put people to sleep with that. Okay. But uh, And Chris in Atlanta... Uh, uh, he does. He, he got the same thing. He got from the same website. So he says, "I can go along with all except number five. They are using democracy and feelings to set their standards. You need an objective, unchanging source for your decisions." Reading further on the website, they cite their sources as cultures of the world, words and deeds of people that challenge us to confront injustice, wisdom from all religions, human teachings, and earth-centered traditions. How could you ever get a consistent doctrine with so many sources? Okay. All right. So. And you, anything goes. You don't have to believe in God. Uh, we asked if you could believe that God was Satan, and she said, well, I guess, but nobody would uh, come to our church like that. But she basically, you but have she to acknowledged, accept them. She acknowledged that atheists were members of the congregation. She said oh, more said, likely agnostic, yeah. but, but atheists and agnostics can, can be a member of the congregation there where she is the preacher. And we also have an email from Chris uh, in response to your question today. Oh, no, no. Okay, that's it. Okay, so... Let's ask this question. What do you think are the best arguments against the claim of universalists? What we're going to concentrate on, especially about the universalist doctrine, is there there is no hell and everyone will be saved. I, I, if you looked at your website, I think that leaves you in a fog. You're not really clear what they're teaching. But if you boiled it all down, ultimately they're saying everyone is saved. No one will be lost. There is no hell everybody's okay. I'm okay. You're okay. Everybody's okay. You know, and really that goes beyond just uh, even those who claim to be Christians. It, it embraces Buddhist, Muslims, atheists. Everybody's okay. You know, we, when we, you mentioned the Westboro Baptist church earlier tonight, and we, we wanted to have a discussion with them because they, uh, exemplified Calvinistic teaching taken to its logical conclusion that God hates people, that God wants people to be terrible sinners. We wanted to talk to them because it, it illustrated that if you hold that the views of John Calvin, that that's the logical extreme. You know, these universal uni, Unitarian Universalists, they are the logical I, I, extreme of what so many in the religious world today are saying is, I'm okay, you're okay. 
Yeah. I mean, if you leave the Bible and leave the standard of the scriptures, then you've got to stand with Gail Seavey and the Univer- Unitarian Universalists. In other words, what you're saying is that a lot of people religiously are inconsistent. Right. They say everybody's you shouldn't judge anybody. It doesn't any, matter. Go to the should, church of your choice. You shouldn't judge anybody and everybody's okay. Yeah. But but then they then then at some point they want to draw a line yeah. and say that's not okay. Where's the line? Yeah. What Gail Seavey and the Universalists are doing is saying there is no line. So at least they're being consistent, whereas you're saying a lot of people religiously are not consistent. Right, but it's the logical conclusion of, uh, or the logical uh, endpoint of where the, many in the religious world are headed today. Interesting take on that. I hadn't thought about it. You think you're right. Uh, let's look at some answers to the question, what do you think are the best arguments against the claims of universalists? Uh, Mike in Orleans, Indiana says, one who accepts everything has really accepted nothing. Their stance that we can all have opposing views and be right at the same time is utter nonsense and is the easy way out of trying to answer difficult questions. Any honest person knows that one cannot be a Muslim who gets their uh, guidance from the Koran, which says, by the way, fight and slay the pagans, uh, the infidels and the unbelievers, wherever you find them and so forth. You, you can't have, you can't have, cannot be a Christian who gets their the, you can't be a Muslim who gets their guidance from the Koran or, at, and at the same time, a Christian who gets his guidance from the Bible uh, or the, the Jehovah's Witness Seventh-day Adventist that gives examples of believers in Zoroastrianism. Uh, Zoroastrianism. Yeah. What is that? Who's not, they believe, oh, that's an Eastern religion. Okay. Yeah. Uh, or an Eastern philosophy. Okay. Thinking. Okay. Okay. Um, so he's just saying, uh, you know, you can't have – it's ridiculous to say that you could take people of opposing views and all be one. Yeah. Everybody's okay. All right. And uh, we have uh, – let's see. Who is this? This is uh, Chris in the U.K. Uh, he says, one problem I would have is how can two people who are polar opposites say they're, that a theist – or say a theist and an atheist subscribe to a similar approach to where the end of the road is? It is either to God, heaven, or no God – and to say, uh, go gently into the night. They, the bo- they both cannot be true. That's saying uh, the road of religion leads steeply uphill while the road of Christianity descends downhill, being that religion has fallen humanity's attempt to reach up and become acceptable to God through what we do, as to Christianity is a divine gift based on what God has done. Also, what is truth if it is, an, if it is subjective and depends on your and other people's limited knowledge or opinion? I think people drive... On the left, because they do here where I live. In England. In England. But you would be right to appeal to your absolute standard of law that I drive on the right. Either things are right or wrong or in or out. If all opinions are valid, then no one really knows anything and nothing is out of bounds. I can believe anything and say uh, it is true for me. Say I have a million pounds in my account. That would be a million dollars. in our. In, uh, but the teller will remind me of the truth if I try to withdraw a thousand pounds on the strength of my belief. Or if I think robbery is fine, I'll still get arrested if I choose to act on it. We need to know who we are, sinners, and where we want to go, heaven, and how we get there, Christ, John 14, 6, Acts 4, 16. Also, to say the golden rule, to love one another as yourself without paying any attention to that it, it is uh, following hot on the hills of, in Mark 20, uh, 12, 29, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. Okay. All Thank right. you for those, Chris. Thank you for your comments. Got an email from Aaron in Singapore who has just popped up in the chat room. We are worldwide tonight. Thank you, Aaron. Uh, uh, Aaron, what time is it in Singapore? It's it's uh, just quarter till nine Thursday evening in Columbia, Tennessee. But I, I my guess is it's Friday morning, early sometime Friday morning in Singapore, and, and there may be some dramatic delay in our in our uh, uh, a lot of lag in the internet. Getting to Aaron, but we'll see what time he says it is. He's, here's what he said about the question. He said, I have never discussed religion with a universalist, but I understand that part of their contention is that references to punishment should be understood as temporal, not eternal. So it seems to me that any passage that contrasts eternal life with some alternative would be most clear. Uh, I haven't had a chance to hear the program yet, so he says I might be repeating. He mentions Matthew 25, 46. These shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Uh, in other words, if it's... In other words, what's, it's contrasting eternal life with something. And what it's contrasting with is everlasting punishment. By the way, I understand that the words there are the same. That the, word, the expression eternal 
life, or the, the word for eternal life, is the same word for everlasting punishment. Okay. However long eternal life is, is how long the everlasting punishment would be. Okay. John 5, 29, a resurrection of life and a resurrection of condemnation. Also, Paul's statements that he preached in order to save some, Romans 11, 14, 1 Corinthians 9, 22, don't make a lot of sense if they are ultimately going to be saved regardless of his preaching. He paid quite a high price uh, personally for the opportunity to preach, and it's hard to imagine him doing so if he thought they were all okay anyway. Mm -hmm. All right. And then Chris in Atlanta, I don't think we got his comments yet. Uh, No, no, get him. uh, He says, they seem to take their beliefs and doctrines from any and every source that appears to teach good and justice. There are no, these are noble goals, but there can never be any consistent doctrine if you do not have an objective source like we do in the Bible. If there was not a r- real proof that the Bible is the Word of God, then I could buy into the philosophy that you're okay and I'm okay as long as we're good and just. But we have to have good evidence. We have good evidence that the Bible is from God, and it gives complete and clear instructions on how to live and conduct our lives. It is the ultimate guide on how to love and be just. You know, and so, I, I so, think that's a good point from Chris, because yeah. when we were talking to Gail Seavey, the universalist preacher, she basically was saying there is no objective standard. Yes. We're saying if there is an objective standard, and we believe we can prove the Bible is that objective standard, then that's that establishes what's good and right, and it's not just all up in the air. Right, and, and, and if, it, if it's right, then then its claims are right, and it claims to be the only source of truth. And therefore, you have to accept it. Either you accept it or you say it's not right and it needs to be thrown out and never be referenced at all. And so Chris makes a good point. Aaron says it's 10.45 a.m. Friday in Singapore. So he's, what, 14 hours ahead of us. He's getting to use Friday before we we are even done with Thursday. Let us know how it turns out. Yeah, Aaron. let us know how Friday turns out. Yeah. We may decide not to participate. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And uh, since it is 1045 in, in Singapore, it's time for us to take a break, and then we'll go to the top of the hour after this. Some more questions about Unitarian Universalism. And so uh, the other question, uh, well, we're going to ask how and we And there are no end. right or wrong que- answers to this question, by the way. To them, there's not. Oh, well, but okay. to us, there is. And so we'll talk about some more questions about universalism when we come All right, back. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Do you remember when churches taught the truth in a straightforward and direct way with no sugarcoating? Can you recall when homosexuality was plainly condemned and unscriptural divorce and remarriage was not tolerated? Can you think back to a time when you heard hard sermons on moral issues like dancing, immodest stress, and filthy movies? Do you long for a return to the kind of teaching and preaching that you heard 30 or 40 years ago? The College View Church is trying hard to maintain the same moral principles that have been associated with God's people throughout the ages. They want to hold the line against the drifting that is characterized in so many churches today. Come and see. Visit the College View Church of Christ. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. The proportion of adults who are married has plunged to record lows as more people decide to live together now and wed later, reflecting decades of evolving attitudes about the role of marriage in society. Just 51% of all adults who are 18 and older are married, placing them on the brink of becoming a minority, according to a Pew Research Center analysis of census statistics. That represents a steep drop from 57% who were married in the year 2000. That information is via the Washington Post. The Word of God says in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 2, Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight as we talk about various topics, cleaning up the house and making room for your suggestions and your questions at any time. Questions at collegeview.com. We welcome you to submit questions you'd like to discuss in this forum and uh, maybe even topics for an entire program. Send us your thoughts, send us your ideas, send us your questions anytime. Questions at collegeview.com. As we're talking now about Unitarian Universalism from our program on October 18th, 2012, with the Unitarian Universalist Preacher. Yeah, now here's the, here's the, the next question we want to deal with. How are you going to answer the Universalist when the Universalist says the idea of eternal punishment is just absolutely contradictory to the notion of a good God, it, that, that a good God couldn't possibly send anyone to hell, that that, that, that is so contradictory. That in other words, if you've got a good God, how could a good God send people to hell? And that's going to be one of their very most adamant arguments. You know, you say you've got a good and loving God, and he's going to send people to eternal punishment? 
That's not – that can't go together. That's contradictory. How are you going to answer that? All right. Uh, well, Mike says the most religious faiths would contradict this fact. I think a lot most religious faiths do have some kind of idea of a hell. Uh, Revelation 21, verse 8, he references, uh, A God who will not punish the evil is not a just God, just as a parent who will not correct a child from doing wrong does not love them. Proverbs 13, verse 24. Okay. Um Let's see. We got Chris in the UK, and he's got. Uh, oh, here, here we go. He says, uh, um, "How many sins should he allow?" In other words, it, it, the idea of eternal punishment is contrary to the goodness of God. He says, "How many sins should he allow?" If, if say ten, someone could argue for eleven. So you go to twenty. They want twenty-one. Back and forth until the limit may well be infinity. So the or it may well be infinite. The only fair limit is zero. Thankfully, someone met that criteria, being his son, and through his death we have, well, he says we have his righteousness or sinlessness imputed to us. I, I, I would disagree with that expression. I would say through his death we have the, the, uh, uh, access, the to access to salvation. Yes. Uh, and so that that displays God's perfect goodness, which I think is true. All right. Aaron uh, says, uh, let's see. Let's see. Is this, we're on 3B, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, ironically, the state of the art in uh, aesthetic, uh, atheistic philosophy right now is for atheists, Darwin, uh, Dawkins, uh, Harris, Hitchens, uh, etc., to argue that God, the God of the Bible cannot exist because a God who is good and loving could not allow such suffering as we see in the world. The universalist is adopting the exact same argumentation as the atheist. In both cases, mere men are taking it upon themselves to decide that if there is a God, I insist that he behave in the way I think a God should behave. It is much like the reaction of the Pharisees to Jesus in Luke 7, verse 32. They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not weep. Goodness is uh, is one of God's attributes, but it is not the only one. God's response to man's sin is the sum total of all his attributes, not just one. All right, and that next paragraph answers the next question. So excellent on. answer, Aaron. Thank I, you for I, that. I think that's right. Uh, Chris in Atlanta says, God does not want anyone to be eternally punished, Second Peter 3, 9. God actually showed us how good he really is when he sent his son to die on our behalf. If we had nothing to deserve, if we had done nothing to deserve that, and he made it so easy to obtain forgiveness, I, I would consider that a measure of goodness and love that cannot be measured. All right. Um, I think all those are good answers. I, I tell you, one of the one of the approaches that I, I mean, I think what you got to factor into this answer. How are you going to say that eternal punishment is contrary to the notion of of a good loving God? Well. That's a one-sided picture of God. That's not taking into consideration all the components of God, all the all the attributes of God that we are that we know exist because of what we read of Him in the Bible and attributes that we don't know about. Yeah, and and but but one one attribute is love. Yes, goodness, mercy, forgiveness, grace. All those things are true of God. But another component of God's uh, character is justice. God demands justice. Uh, God cannot fellowship evil. Yes. And so uh, the justice component has to be factored in, too. Mm-hmm. And, and so he, in his justice, as, as, as our answerers have already stated, he, he, he fulfilled the requirement of his justice by sending his son mm-hmm. to be a propitiation for mm-hmm. our sins. Scripture But we have to take advantage of that. In other words, he made a way out. Yeah. And, and so his, his justice was served. In the death of Jesus, now it's up to us to avail ourselves of the advantage of that sacrifice. But justice is as much a part of God's nature as love and goodness is. And we can't we can't paint this scenario in which we rule out what God would do. Yeah. You know, another thing that I would argue in answer to the universalist is, who was it that had the most to say about hell? Read the New Testament, and you'll find that by far and away, the one who talked about hell most was Jesus himself. Yeah. Jesus is God. Yeah, well. Jesus spoke about hell. He taught eternal punishment. So, I mean, you just can't separate that. Well, but these Unitarians, it appears, just think Jesus was a good man, and he probably could have been wrong about that. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's their that's their conclusion. 
All right, and, now. And that's that's becoming more mainstream in and of itself. It uh, remember the it Presbyterian is. who thought he knew more than Jesus, and Jesus would have been wrong about uh, homosexuality. So it's a, it's becoming pretty common. Okay, we're going to run out of time. This last one question I think is really important. How are you going to answer the universalist when he says, since God wants everyone to be saved, therefore to argue that some will be lost is a denial of the sovereign power of God. Uh, he, yeah, he again, want, we're going to paint a scenario here where we, we got, He wants everybody to be saved, but you say some people are going to be lost. He wants them to be saved, but you say they're going to be lost. In other words, God can't bring to pass what he wants? Yeah, well, the Calvinists have that a problem with that verse as well. Yeah. Uh, they don't think it. They, they, yeah, they say, they, I, well, they I got say, this off of a blog. Listen to this. Here's the way they put it together. God's redemptive love extends to all human sinners equally in the sense that he sincerely wills or desires the redemption of each one of them. Because no one can finally defeat God's redemptive love or resist it forever, God will triumph in the end and successfully accomplish the redemption of everyone whose redemption he sincerely wills and desires. Where, where, where did you get that? That was off of some blog, uh, a universalist blog. Oh, universalist. Yeah. Okay. okay. So think about it. That's what they're saying. If he wants everybody to be saved, and you, you, Jacob, you say he wants everybody to be saved, right? What yeah. passage are you going to reference? Uh, 2 Peter 3, 9. All men, yeah. Uh, 1 Timothy 2, verse 4. Uh, he wants all men to be saved. But you're saying that that's not going to happen? Yeah. Therefore, you're saying God can't make... It can't bring to pass what he wills. Yeah, that's the argument that they're making. Well, and that's how are you going to answer that? All right. Uh, uh, and Mike says God does want all to be saved, but salvation involves a choice. Not everyone who says to me, "Lord, Lord," shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Matthew seven verse twenty one. Uh, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has one that judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. John twelve forty eight. Grace, God gives us something we don't deserve. Mercy, God does not give us what we do deserve. So he said there's no contradiction. All right. Uh, Chris in the U.K. says, if Starbucks wanted everyone to have a free cup of coffee or tea or a blueberry muffin and go out to the people and try to give it to them, but some refuse, is that a problem on Starbucks' part or the individual's concern? Surely forced love is no love at all. And, yes, the risk of free will is that people will refuse you. I love my children. I want them to love me, but to force them to do so is cruel and ultimately unloving. So I hope they love me, but that's up to them. Much the same with us and God. Well said, Chris. I think that's it. All right. Aaron in Singapore says many things happen that are not, in fact, God's will. God doesn't want men to be lost. He also doesn't want them to murder and steal, but they do. The fact that God could put a stop to these things does not mean that he will stop them. One consequence of poor human choices is that we suffer on earth, but another consequence is that we are separated from God, Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. If God's will is the only one that ever matters, then there is no such thing as human will. Human will is a concept that only makes sense if it is possible for man to will something independent of what God wills. Okay. And finally... And we're, we've cleared the table, Jacob. Finally, the last oh, boy, comment the on the of, table is from Chris in Atlanta. All right, we're clearing it off. Who says, God is holy, First Peter 1, 16. And since he is holy, he's also just. Sin, by its definition and nature, demands punishment or restitution. God, showing his sovereign power and love, gave us a way to obtain forgiveness. He not only provided a way, but he made it so easy to obtain. The point, of, the, the point I think, of all these is, certainly God does not wish that any should perish. That's his ideal will. He does not want anyone to be lost. And therefore, he made adequate provision for the redemption of anyone who will accept that salvation. Yes. Uh, the, the, the real issue is not does God want everyone to be saved. The real issue is what will happen if men do not repent. And if they do not repent, he has said they will perish. Right. Uh, God wants all men to be saved. First Timothy 2, 4. Again, that's what he wills ideally, mm-hmm. that no one should perish, that all would be saved. But the, but the Lord also has chosen, he chose to honor our free will. In other words, he could have made it so that he'd just save us all. But what he chose to do is to save those who choose to respond to his will. All right. Well, excellent discussion tonight. I'm glad we cleared it off and we're ready for more questions. Uh, you, I mean, you've got any more in your i got a few still in the stack of stuff. We're always open to more questions. Okay. Uh, w- uh, and we like these kind of programs where we can cover questions that are on our listeners' minds. So if you have questions, let us know. We'll try to work them in. And there's been a lot of discussion about that Westboro Baptist interview tonight. A lot of They're talking about it in the chat room. They, I don't think they're paying attention to us tonight. And what, and that, when, that West, when was that? That Westboro in our... Baptist uh, interview was January 25th, 2006. 
2007, going way back in the archives. Wow, that's way back there. 2007. 2007. All right. Over five years ago. Five years ago. Almost six years ago. So uh, if you're interested in that, it it was an incredible discussion. January 25th, 2007. And then the next week we we reviewed some of the things. February 1st, 2007. What was that? Shirley Shirley Phelps Roper. She's the daughter of, of Fred Phelps, who is the sort of the head head guy at yeah, Westbury. I don't know if he's still alive, but she and, is and, the spokesperson. And she's a lawyer, and she's quite articulate. Yes, it was is. really interesting discussion. You might want to go back and listen to that in the archives. And if the, you haven't done that, it's January twenty fifth, 2007. And if you haven't listened to that interview uh, with the Unitarian Universalist preacher, that's from October 18th of this year, 2012. You might want to do that. Anthony, that's on your list. That's on your to-do list. It's on my list. All right. And... Uh, We hope that uh, being back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study is in your to-do list as well. And uh, put on your to-do list, send us a question or a comment or a topic. And if you don't have any questions, maybe just send us a comment. Hey, I listened to the program, and uh, tell us where you are. All right. Great. Thank you for your time tonight. Thanks, Dave. Thank you, Anthony. Hey, thanks for having me on. Good job behind the controls. And, uh, again, thank you for being a part of the program tonight. We'll look forward to talking with you this time next week. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.